Ephesians 3 and 8, the final message in a series of messages on the faithfulness of God. The Apostle Paul is writing, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent, to the purpose, that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Tonight I'd like to speak to you on the subject, God is faithful to His purpose. God is faithful to His purpose. Years ago, my pastoral mentor, Brother T.L. Craft, was teaching on the natural tendency of people to be focused on themselves. Isn't that shocking? He said that a headache to me is worse than a famine in China. Now back then a famine in China might have been a real possibility, but you get the point. When you have a headache, that can be worse than a very tragic situation for someone else because you feel that ache or that pain. We're pretty preoccupied on me, myself, and I. Paul taught that husbands should love their wives as they love their own selves. He said nobody hates themselves. We're pretty caught up with taking care of ourselves. Paul told the Philippians that Timothy was not like many other teachers, that he would naturally care for their state, for their interests, but he said a lot of other people are just thinking about themselves. Philippians 2, he says that. And then in the Bible, the essence of sin, according to Isaiah 53, 6, is that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. We turn in on ourselves and think only about ourselves. It is all too easy to become preoccupied with the small stuff how we're feeling, how we're doing at any particular moment or season of life. And, and I want you to know tonight that God, God cares about the small stuff of life. It's no exaggeration to say that God is in the details. The Lord has the, the big view, the macro view. But He also has the micro view. He sees the small things. I, I talked about this this past Sunday in my message when I spoke about the meal barrel miracle, when Jesus taught in Matthew 6 uh, the importance of trusting God for daily necessities of life. Jesus spoke about food and clothes. He told us to look at birds and lilies and to realize that our Heavenly Father takes care of them and He is much more interested in us because we are much more valuable to God than they are. God cares about what might be considered the small stuff of life. Unbelievers are 
preoccupied. Their thoughts are dominated by getting by. And we are not unbelievers. We have a God who cares about the small things. But then Jesus, you remember, told us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things, the things of life, will be added to us. Jesus was teaching in Luke chapter 12 and He said, what's the price of five sparrows? He said, is it just, you know, the price of five sparrows? Just two copper coins. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And then... A scripture that I know you'll enjoy me saying is that the very hairs on your head are all numbered according to Jesus' own words. In a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. God sees the small things of life. He cares about the death of a tiny bird. And Jesus in Matthew 10 says, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So he says, don't be afraid that you're more valuable to God than an entire flock of sparrows. So today, as I focus my message on the bigger purposes of God, I want you to remember that God gets the big picture and he also sees the smallest things down to subatomic levels. God sees the macro, if I can use that word. It's not a word, but part of Lord, and he sees the micro, he sees all of that. In the Sunday messages in the month of August, I've endeavored to show you that God's got the big stuff just like he's got the small stuff. God's governance of the natural world is proven in his covenant with day and night that I preached about on August 2nd in the faithfulness of God. God's control of world history is ensured that that, that Nebuchadnezzar's image that he saw in his dream representing the Gentile world kingdoms, that God is in control of human history. I preached about this on August 9th, the unconquerable kingdom of God. The balance of God's universal reign and his personal care in we are his people on Sunday, August 16th. And then God's faithfulness to us personally those smaller things this past Sunday, the meal barrel miracle on Sunday, August 23rd. And by the way, in our Sheaves for Christ sacrificial offering, I've already had two people contact me with miracles that God has done in their lives in the last two days since Sunday. On Monday and on Tuesday, God is already showing himself to be faithful to his word. So this the Wednesdays of this month, I'm just doing a little review here, has been focused on practical teachings that God is faithful to His principles, to His promises. Last Wednesday, Brother Jury taught an excellent message on God is faithful to His people. And then tonight, I'm talking about God's faithfulness to His purpose. I want to slow down a minute to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Because really, this idea that God sees the big picture and the small picture, the macro and the micro, is really wrapped up in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 and 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now this is the big picture of God. He's our Father with a capital F-A- an almighty father, a supernatural father. 
and he inhabits heaven. And we pray that his will would be done in earth as it is in heaven. He's a great and mighty God. He is a God who is above all, through all, and in you all. God sits on the circle of the earth. So Jesus starts his prayer reminding us that God is the governor of everything. He's our father, but he is in heaven. He's greater than any earthly father, of course. But then Jesus immediately goes to the micro, to the small things in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Not our weekly trip to the supermarket, but our daily bread. For many people, they were day workers. For the average person, they probably were concerned about food on a daily basis. Certainly in the wilderness wanderings, they had to believe that God was going to allow manna to come out of heaven six days a week, only lasting for two days once a week on the sixth day in honor of the Sabbath. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he, he says he, to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are prayers that are prayed at a personal level. So the Lord's Prayer begins with us seeing a great and mighty Heavenly Father and that He cares about our smallest needs. And then the Lord's Prayer ends by lifting our gaze back up higher again. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When you say those words, you're not looking down for a crumb of bread for today. You're looking up to the God who supplies it all, who is bigger than it all. God has got the small things of your life. He cares about those details. But He is also a God that is bigger than all of those details put together of every person in the world. So God brings us back to a focus that it is His kingdom and His power. It is for His glory, not just for time, for forever. Knowing that God is in control of the big stuff gives me confidence, gives me faith that he also has got the small stuff in the palm of his hands because he's our heavenly father with all power, because he's a God that can do anything, then I do not need to worry about the daily necessities, the daily bread of life. We can pray for forgiveness, pray against temptation, Pray against evil, knowing that God rules in His kingdom and He has the power and the glory forever. The big stuff and the small stuff, the macro and the micro. So here's the point of all that. If I have a God that is bigger and stronger than anyone or anything, then I don't need to sweat the small stuff of my life. I should not be anxious, careful as the King James word, worried, sick to death about what's going to happen today or tomorrow and worrying about tomorrow only doubles the cares of today, Jesus taught. When we are so focused on ourselves and our, our problems, it is really a lack of faith in God. Jesus often said, you know, you lack faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Fail to focus on the faithfulness of God in all of life. If, if we're not vigilant, we can think like those unbelievers who are always worried about just getting by and getting ahead. We can fret over those necessities of life and forget that our Heavenly Father has promised to provide all of those things for His children. 
If we're not careful, our perception of God can shrink God down into an infinitesimally small God that He doesn't have the power to do anything. So we worry. We're stressed out. We can hardly function because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring to us. But tonight I want to remind you and encourage you that God is faithful to His purpose. That He's a big, mighty, great God. And I want to pray tonight and preach and teach tonight that we would help our faith not shrivel back into fear and doubt. If we become preoccupied with the small stuff, we lose sight of what really matters, the kingdom of God and God's eternal purpose. Before I get to Ephesians, I was thinking about this today and praying and pondering. You know, in the Bible, the Lord had to get us to, to look up. Psalm 121, a song of degrees, a song you would sing going to church. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. So I've got to look up into something big and strong that looks like it's been there a while, that stands for the power and the strength of Almighty God. My help comes from that. The Lord will not let me be moved. He will keep me, protect me. Psalm 121 is a reminder that God will take care of you. Now, I know that Solomon told us to go look at an ant. But you go look at an ant to remember that you need to plan for the future. But you're probably not going to get the idea of bigness and strength and power while you're looking down at a little tiny ant crawling around on the ground. You need to look to the hills and get your eyes off the ants. And then, in Isaiah 45, 22, the Lord said, Look unto me. And be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. And shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear. And Jesus taught in Luke 21. That when you see all of these things coming in the earth. All of the bad things that will happen in the end of time. And Jesus said, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. So my mission tonight is to help each of us lift up our heads, to look up at the grandeur of God, to believe that God has an eternal purpose and He has allowed us to be connected to His great eternal purpose. So let's go to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul needed to say some practical things. Now, the Scriptures are written by the inspiration of God. These holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But in chapters 4 through 6, Paul is going to drill down into daily Christian living. But before he lays out these principles of daily Christian living, wisely under the inspiration of the Spirit, you have to say that, or People think you have a low view of Scripture. Inspired by the Holy Ghost, he wrote about God's eternal purpose. Daily Christian living does not make sense without seeing the big picture. Now, don't miss what I'm trying to say right now. If you're just stuck on what ends up being disciplines of the Christian life, and you forget where it leads and how it matters, then you're going to get lost in life and you're going to miss God's eternal purpose. 
Now, in chapters 4 through 6, Paul is going to tell the Ephesian church and us to avoid lustful living, to be righteous and holy, to quit lying, to conquer your anger, quit stealing, quit cussing and telling off-color jokes. He's going to tell us to be moral people, not to get drunk or high. He tells husbands to love their wives and wives to submit to their husbands. He does all these things and he gives us some pretty challenging teaching points. Children obeying their parents, workers on the job, slaves to masters back then that they should do the right thing, not just when your master is watching. And you see what I'm saying? All these practical points of Christianity are not easy to live out if all you do is get focused on the challenges, the difficulty, the disciplines that God calls us to. Practical Christianity is a superior code of ethics and a superior way to live. But in the context of time and not eternity, maybe it's not worth it. Paul said if, this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If we're just looking at the way we live now and forgetting that it pays off for eternity, we can make ourselves miserable. No wonder some people turn back, backslide, and walk away from God. They forget where the Lord brought them from and they forget where they're going. They get lost in the nasty now and now. And they forget about the sweet by and by, if you're old enough to remember that song. Today I want to remind you that God is faithful to His purpose. You are not headed down a dead-end street in life. You're not living a godly life in vain. You are heirs of the promises of God and you are part of God's eternal purpose. So let's look into the book of Ephesians and the Apostle Paul launches into this book with a lot of power. I'm going to take a few moments, chapter 1, chapter 2. You'll not see these verses on a screen. Just setting up Ephesians 3, my text. Paul speaks about you know, the being faithful in Christ Jesus, that's who he's writing to. That he's blessed us with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Do you see how he, he's pulling them up? Now he's going to write to them in chapters 4 through 6 about practical Christianity, but he's reminding them that God lifted us out of sin and he lifted us up into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined the church. And when we choose to be part of the church, then we are part of the predestined church. It was by the good pleasure of His will. Paul said He's made us accepted in the beloved. He's given us redemption. And Paul speaks of this as a mystery of His will that He purposed in Himself. That in the fullness of time, God would gather together everything in Christ Jesus Christ. He tells them that we have obtained an inheritance according to the purpose of Him. And He also tells us that after we trusted in Jesus Christ, that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We believed. We were saved. And God has given us the Holy Ghost, which is the down payment, the earnest of our inheritance. In Ephesians 1, 15-23, Paul prays a prayer, which is my pastoral prayer. He asks the Lord to give them wisdom 
and vision and anointing, that they could see the exceeding greatness of His power that He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. That Jesus Christ is exalted far above all principality and power, might and dominion and every name that is named. So He's showing them that Jesus Christ has raised them up. And He tells them in Ephesians 1.22 that everything is under the feet of Jesus Christ. And everything is under the feet of the church. We are His body that fills Him that fills all in all. In chapter 2, He speaks of our great salvation. By grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. He tells them in Ephesians 2 and 7 that in the ages to come, He's pointing them ahead to God's eternal purpose that God is going to show His exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, here's the setting of our text. Paul tells them that you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. You've seen this mystery that until now, under the coming of Jesus Christ, throughout all the ages, God had veiled His plan. No one knew what God was going to do. Even the Jewish people who had the Scriptures just somehow read right past Isaiah 53. They could not comprehend a suffering Savior. They could not see Psalm 22. The Bible said in the book of 1 Peter that even the angels desired to look into this salvation plan that God had. But it was a mystery. It was veiled. It was hidden in the past. And Paul said that in the ages to come, this mystery of Jesus Christ, that it was not known, but now it has been known in the church. The apostles, the prophets wanted to understand this. And he said one of, this, one of the aspects of this great mystery is God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's not in this passage. And then he would save his people. But, but then he said there was this mysterious element of the church that God would not just save Jews, but, but he would save Gentiles. That he would mold into one church Jew and Gentile, those that had been separated by a middle wall of partition, they were racially different. They were, they were animos- there was animosity between them. But he broke down that middle wall of partition that Gentiles would be fellow heirs. They've come into this body of Christ. This is part of God's eternal purpose. And Paul said, I was made a minister of this. He wasn't worthy of that, he said. But God made him the apostle to the Gentiles, a minister to this. In Colossians, he speaks of the same thing, that it is a mystery that had been hid from ages and from generations. But now it is made known, it is made manifest in the saints of God, to whom God would make known what is the riches of His glory, of His mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to remind you again, the purpose of my message tonight is to pick us up out of the now, away from the things that God does care about in your life, but that we can get lost in the details and to remind you that God has an eternal purpose and that He is faithful to His purpose. So with all of that, in verse 8, this is getting to our text now, Paul said, if he is humbled unto me, I am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, 
that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. You may remember the Bible said in Revelation that Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1 and 1. But then in John 1, 14, the Word became flesh. The concept, the idea that God had from the beginning in the fullness of time, Paul would write in Galatians, that God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. So Paul said this was hid in the past. No one knew this great plan of God. Verse 10. To the intent that now under the principalities and heavenly and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Principalities and powers here can refer to all angelic beings, good and bad. I mentioned earlier what the Bible said in 1 Peter 1 and 12 that angels desire to look into this. In, in the tabernacle and in the temple, you had those cherubim, they had their wings spread out and they were looking down into the, into that mercy seat, the place where the blood was shed. They did not understand that one day Jesus Christ would become the mercy seat. He would be the place where God was the satisfaction for the sins of the world. They were bending down Literally, those angelic forms were, and, and Peter uses this as a metaphor of angelic beings desiring to look into this mystery that God has hid from the beginning of the world. God has manifold wisdom, Paul said. He is wise in every way. No one saw Calvary coming. No one in heaven and earth could have comprehended that God would become a man and would be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But Paul said now this mystery is being revealed by the church. It is a church that is declaring to everyone God's eternal purpose. It is this mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 11, Ephesians chapter 3. According to the eternal purpose, which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I want to just pause here to say Everything that I've just referred to about time and creation and God's plan unfolding and the mystery, all of this culminated in the, the birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. Pouring out the Holy Ghost, the spreading of the gospel in the book of Acts, Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, the gospel being preached to the entire world in that day. That was God's plan. No one would have given it a chance, a prayer of working, but Almighty God in His infinite wisdom came humbly in the back door of our world to become a conquering Savior. This, Paul said, was part of God's eternal purpose that He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then verse 12. Paul said, In whom... We have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. In other words, Paul said, we don't need to be sheepish, timid. The writer of Hebrews said we can come boldly, right, to find help 
when we pray in the time of need. So Paul is saying here that we have boldness and access, that we don't have to live in fear. We do not need to live in question marks about God's faithfulness to His His purpose, that God had a purpose from the beginning of the world. And He has proven His faithfulness in His authority over nature, in His authority over human history, in His authority over kings and nations and empires, in His authority in every dimension of life. And when we pray, we can come with boldness and we can have access with confidence by our faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His ultimate purpose will not end in time, but it will endure for eternity. In 1 Corinthians 15, when the Apostle Paul is teaching on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, he said, Then comes the end, when everything is delivered back to God. You may remember in Philippians, every knee is bowing, every tongue is confessing, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. We are coming down to the close of human history when that statue is toppled by a stone that strikes it in its feet and God begins to fill the entire earth and the kingdom of God prevails. God is faithful to His purpose. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 this same passage. He will put every enemy under His feet and the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. And when he's put everything under his feet, then the kingdom will be delivered up. The purpose of the sonship will have ceased. That redemptive role will be over and God will be all in all. In Revelation 17, 14, uh, the writer John said that he saw this war being made with the Lamb and he saw people coming with him and, and they are called and chosen and they are faithful. There are people like you and me who endured temptation and trial who didn't deserve it, but the Lord saved us. And there are times we could have given up, but we got back up and we kept going. Jesus said in Revelation 2 and 10, to one of the seven churches, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. So where do you see yourself? In the eternal purpose of God. If you feel like you're insignificant, if you feel like you're just some little teeny part of the body of Christ, like the, the fingernail on the little finger, I want you to understand today that you are precious to Jesus Christ and that you are connected to God's eternal purpose. You are part of God's eternal purpose. So don't feel lost in the great cosmos. Don't feel like you're living life alone, trying to get by and make it happen by yourself. But let me remind you today that how you see your role in life, your role in God's kingdom, affects your boldness and your confidence and your faith in God. How you think affects how you act. I read a story about a man who walked to a construction site and he saw three men working there and he asked the first man, the first worker, what are you doing? He said, well, I am chiseling stone. So the man passing by asked the second worker there, he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm earning a living. He was providing for his family. He asked the third man, sir, what, what are you doing? 
He dropped his sledgehammer. He stood at attention, and with a gleam in his eye, he exclaimed to that passerby who inquired, what are you doing? He said, I am building a great cathedral. Each of these three men were doing the very same thing. But how they saw their role affected their attitude. That one man saw himself connected to a purpose that was grand and great. And I want to say to you on this Wednesday night Bible study that how you see yourself in God's eternal purpose will determine how you act. It will affect your behavior. If you see yourself as unimportant, just trying to get by, live from day to day, then somehow you're going to get lost in this nasty now and now of life. But if you can understand that God had a plan from before the foundation of the world, because He is God, He calls those things that are not as though they already are. And we need to see that our lives fit perfectly into God's glorious, eternal purpose for our church. And when we see this, when we know this, it will help us in a very practical way deal with difficult trials in life. God's eternal purpose, His manifold wisdom is made known by the church. You and I are part of that great eternal purpose. Successfully enduring the labors of life depends on how you see yourself as part of God's great kingdom. If you allow life to make you be dumbed down and dulled by drudgery and and you get lost and just trying to make a living and get by and hold everything together... But I want to encourage you to do what the psalmist said, to lift up your eyes, to look to the Lord, to make sure that you don't get just stuck down, stuck look, stuck looking down. Don't get stuck looking down. But look up and believe that God has something great and mighty for you. For we all have a tremendous purpose in Jesus Christ. It's fascinating to me. That while God made the sun, the moon, the stars and everything that is and all the universes that exist, God's eternal purpose is not focused on the sun, the moon, the stars and the planets. God's eternal purpose is focused on people. When Paul said that that eternal purpose was a mystery unto Jesus came. And he said that you Gentiles who are considered outsiders, you are part of God's eternal purpose. And I want you to know that God has made you the centerpiece of His eternal purpose. Not just people. He loves people, but a people. He came to take out a people for His name's sake. What is man that God is mindful of him or the son of man that He would visit him? He he made us a little lower than the angels, but then He crowned us with glory and honor. So to my precious church family, and our friends who are joining us tonight online. The next time you're tempted to focus on the do's and don'ts, the disciplines of grace of the Bible, would you please look up and remember not just Ephesians 4 through 6, but remember Ephesians 1 through 3, that God has got a great eternal purpose. The craziness of our culture in this last day causes you to question whether or not God is checked out. Remember that He is comfortably in control. That He is an almighty God. And He has your future in mind. Do not ever be ashamed. God has a great plan and purpose 
for your life. And God is faithful to His purpose. Would you pray with me right now? And then we're going to take time to focus on the faithfulness of God. And we're going to ask the Lord to give us strength. Lord, I honor you tonight. I honor you tonight as a great and mighty God. And Lord, we feel our frailty. We feel our need of you. And that's why I wanted us to sing that tonight before I even preached. But tonight, though, I ask you, Lord, to help us lift up our heads. For Lord, we know that whatever you said, you will do. That you have spoken and you will make good on it. I'm comforted knowing that you're aware and you care about the smallest details of my life. But I'm also, God, encouraged to know that you have the power to do something about them and do something about anything, God, that would come against your people. I pray, O oh Lord, tonight that you would help us lift up our heads, that you would help us connect ourselves to your great eternal purpose. For we know, Lord, that you are faithful. You are faithful to your purpose. I pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would strengthen and encourage your people. Amen.